You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. How is everyone this fine Thursday? My birthday, June 6th. I turned 46 today. Yay, great for me. Um, today was the last day of Steeler OTAs. We, were, we had uh, sat there at practice and did three hours of radio. Go back next week for minicamp. Um, usually I have Mike Sando on Thursdays. I'll be in touch with Mike. Him and I have been going back and forth. I'm going to try to get him in for tomorrow's show. But I had promised you a very special guest. Um, and we have that guy today. And I'm going to introduce him in one moment. But before I do, I want to tell you about the Himalaya podcasting app. It's free. It's super easy to use. It has every single podcast you love and are searching for. Download, Find and download the Himalaya app at the App Store or Google Play Store. And then don't forget to follow Locked On NFL once you are there. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On NFL. This may be a little bit of a long introduction, but here's what I know about my man Dwayne McFarlane. Frankly, very little. I listen to Matt Waldman's podcast, and he has been on the, the past two, the Matt Waldman RSP podcast. Check that out. And I've been so impressed, I had to reach out to this young man. And I bet you guys haven't had a lot of exposure to Dwayne yet. I bet you're not following him on Twitter. I bet by the end of the show, you're going to all tweet me and say, get Dwayne back on as soon as possible. Because I was blown away. I was very, very impressed with him. Dwayne, great to have you on. What is up, my man? Oh man! How about that? Just uh, enjoying that—that that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying getting to come on and talk football. I just did another podcast of you know about an hour ago. Um, things have definitely picked up here lately okay. for me, so I'm—I mean, I'm excited. You know, this is something I just love doing anyway, and to get to come on the air and you know just you know talk with a someone a great football mind like you that's got the background and experience you do. Hey, that's a that's a win for me any day. Can you tell people what it is you're doing? I mean, I know yours is sort of through a fantasy lens, working with Matt Waldman, um, also with Football Guys, people I'm, I know well. I've written articles for footballguys.com myself. Tell them what the, the, the analytics, the procedure, what all you're working on, and where they can find you on Twitter, too, because they're going to follow you right now. Yeah, absolutely. So just starting with Twitter, it's at Dwayne McFarland, so D-W-A-I-N. M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. And like you said, I do writing for uh, the RSP, so at MattWallmanRSP.com. And then I do st- uh, do some fantasy stuff for Fighting Chance Fantasy. So that's just FightingChanceFantasy.com. And then working through the details right now to start doing some stuff for football guys, like you mentioned. Awesome. Um, just to lay out a little bit about you know, my, my background and how all this came to be, you know, it's just honestly, it's something, you know, I'm a Texan. I've, I was raised loving football. <laughs> so I've loved football since, you know, I was, I was really little. Um, you know, I grew up, you know, watching the Cowboys, even whenever they were terrible, you know, to tell you like what kind of family my family is. My dad, we went to church um, every Sunday until, you know, football season got here. And then we would <laughs> yeah. just go to Sunday school because we had to get home to watch the Cowboys. And I'm talking the 89 Cowboys, one win, but we watched every single game. And it's just something, you know, that I bonded with my dad through. And, uh, you know, through the years, I've just always loved it. It's a game that's always intrigued me. I've also been, I've always been intrigued by data and analytics. That's really where my day job sets. I work in the healthcare analytics sector. Um, but those so two worlds I've, have intersected. 
those two worlds have intersected yes. because now my love for football and then data and analytics has really, you know, uh, come together. And, and something that, you know, I have done really dug into a lot over the last six to seven years is really around roster construction roster construction and and pairing that with you know coaching um, tendencies and philosophies and I'm just fascinated I'm fascinated by how the league's evolving I'm fascinated by how certain coaches adapt more to talent other coaches uh, really you know not to say they don't adapt to talent but they're more aiming to find players that are going to fit their scheme and what's awesome about it is you see them be successful different ways you know they stay true to themselves you know and then there are other coaches you know that I really can't pick out what their plan is. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. And it's not just the coaches, I don't think. You know, you got to have a good GM. Things all go hand in hand. But I'm just so fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by, you know, uh, all of analytics, Twitter. Um, I wouldn't say I was, I'm as far, you know, to the, you know, if, if there's a right and left on this thing, I wouldn't say I'm like a full left wing, hey, pass 80% of the time. But, you know, I think there's room for improvement, you know, in the way that, uh, you know, NFL teams are attacking defenses and tendencies and things like that. I think there's probably more balance needed than, than you know, some folks would lead on if they just look at straight numbers. But what I try to do is have a really balanced approach. The other thing I love to do is just watch film. And I've learned a lot from Matt. Um, doing that. I'm nowhere near as good as someone like you or or Waldman or some of these guys that have been doing it for other, forever. I've been watching film for about 10 years, but I haven't, you know, I'm not the Malcolm Gladwell. I haven't put my 10,000 hours in. I'm not, you know, an outlier <laughs> at this point. I would say I'm average at that. Um, but when I pair it with the data and the story that comes together, it's just something that, you know, I continue to hone in on. So um, the biggest part of my work over the last five to six years that folks seem to be the most excited about is just this. Basically, it's a database that I've built around all of these coaches and these different schemes and uh, just looking at their tendencies and how they change or don't change. Trust me, I would like to talk about all 32 with you, but we're going to pick out a few. <laughs> some that I overheard you and Matt talking about that I found very interesting, wanted to share with my audience so some really good stuff there. All right, Dwayne, I want to discuss the Titans to lead off. And I did a power ranks recently, and I can kind of promise most listeners that I had the Titans higher than most. I like Vrabel as a coach. I think I'm still on that Mariota limb that's getting a little weaker, that he's going to be a highly successful guy. I like what they've built around them. I hate to admit it, but I think Derrick Henry's growing on me. And, and I thought, <laughs> I don't can't believe I'd ever say that. And I know mo mostly you look at the offensive side of the ball and sort of through a fantasy lens. But I really mm -hmm. want to get your thoughts on this team because they've been sort of an enigma over the years. Right. Yeah, I actually, Tennessee is one of the teams when, um, and, and, and again, just setting fantasy aside, fantasy is really it's a byproduct of just loving football, right? Yeah, it's like right. if you love they football overlap. and you get to, and then you get to do something like, oh, I get to pick some players and be my own GM. It's it's fun, right? Of course. But when I really dig into this offense, you know, the, the thing that I look at that caught me right away is, well, first we know this is Vrabel. So this is a Belichick disciple. He also worked under Bill O'Brien. A big part of what I look at are coaching trees. And so when I think about Belichick, um, you know, I think about a guy, a coach that wants to be diverse, right? A, a coach that wants to be able to do multiple things on offense and, and will 
be game plan specific, right? I think that's the, one of the beauties that people have come to appreciate around Bill Belichick, you know, is if, if it's a game where he needs to run the ball 30 times because he thinks that's the weakness, he'll do it. If it's a game where he needs to throw 15 passes to a slot receiver and not take one single deep shot down the field because, you know, his, his right tackle's getting blown up the whole game, he'll do it. The guy knows how to adjust. And, and what caught my eye around Tennessee, given that coaching tree, is when you add a guy like Adam Humphreys, right, to come play and, and play the slot receiver um kind of has eight, a patriot feel to him he does and they <laughs> even got into a little bit of a bidding war with the pats right the pats wanted adam humphreys right because he could be the guy that potentially comes in you know he could have re- replaced what welker and amandola and those guys have done sure they'll put edelman there but they like to let Ed- edelman operate out of the z and do things like that as well and then speaking of a guy like edelman you draft aj brown right <laughs> a guy that can bigger stronger version side yeah. Yep. Exactly. But can play Z, can work all of those underneath types of routes. And then you've already got a guy like Corey Davis, um, you know, who can work the intermediate options of the field. I think he can be, I'm not saying he's a DeAndre Hopkins. He's not that level of a talent, but he's a similar type of a talent. You know, his, his, his route running is not... balls, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, he can he creates separation when there's no separation, you know, just through his body length and ability to box out or, or you know, work his routes. And so I think what you've got is, You've got an offense that now can be much more multiple. And I think if you even take it back a year before, who did they sign in the offseason as a runner? Deion Lewis, right? And then you think about, well, Derrick Henry's the opposite. Exactly. From the Patriots. And then, you know, you've got Derrick Henry, which he's kind of LeGarrette Blount-esque, right? I would say he's more explosive, but a bigger kind of runner that in the end of a game will wear you down. You know, what a lot of people don't realize, you know, with Derrick Henry is last year, yeah, he did come on down the stretch, but most, a lot of that was due to the, the games. The When the Titans were up by seven or more, Henry was the man. He was getting a lot of volume. They were trying to lean on, you know, the other defense and, and just wear them into the ground. And so the interesting part about the Titans is if you look at them last year, they were actually one of the run heaviest teams um, when trailing. That's a, that's that's hmm. something that tells me about a philosophy, right? You yeah, know, absolutely. They, they know what they and do. What well. I do. Right. Exactly. And I think the other thing, you know, you mentioned about Rabel, you know, coming from a defensive background. I've noticed this is that many times head coaches that used to be defensive coordinators, right, or played defense in the league they're much more likely to be high in these areas. They try to manage very tight margins to win games. Say, don't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Here's the areas of the field where we're not going to do these sort of things. We're only going to do these things. Versus offensive coordinators will take more risk a lot of times that have become head coaches. But my point here with the team last year is you know, 42% of the time they ran when trailing. That's the most in the league. Wow. Do you so, happen to know the league average off the top of your head or uh, roughly? Uh, yeah, I've got the league average, uh, 35 ish, maybe something yeah, like that. No, it's, Third. it's, it's lower than that. Is it it's really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll no, have no to big deal. Up, but I do have it. I'll have to get it for you and we can, we can tweet it out to the folks. But, uh, I want to say it's down in the mid thirties to low thirties, maybe yeah. 33, 32%, but we'll, we'll verify that. But yeah, so it's quite a bit above. This is in the top, uh, I've got my color coding here. So this is in the top 20%, um, of the league. And so if you look at Mike Vrabel, you know, and you look at his history, um, you know, he was linebackers coach in Houston. Now he wasn't calling offense. But if you look at Houston that year in 2014, 
they ran the ball 44% of the time when trailing. That's wow. some of the stuff you start to see with these coaches that you're like, man, you know, they do pick up on things. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to define them. They assimilate. The best coaches assimilate. They take this from here, this from here, this from here, and then they adapt it based on personnel and what you can do. Um, but they but have their point, own footprint, too. I mean, like you said, I mean, it, it, they, the trends happen year after year. Absolutely, they do. And, and the thing that is interesting to me about Tennessee this year is um, last year, um, overall, they were 51% on the pass plays total and 49% on run plays. So those pass plays include sacks. If you just look at if you were to if somebody at home is crunching numbers, their numbers are going to come out at 49% pass and 51% run because they're just crunching the attempts, right? Mm-hmm. So a pass play, you could have been sacked or you could have had an attempt, right? Which may have been counted as a throwaway or whatever. But either way, when you look at that, 51% of the attempts were run. That's number two in the league last year behind only Seattle. Um, So they were very balanced. Now, the other thing you want to look at is, okay, well, what percentage of the plays did they lead or did they trail? Because that will, that's a big, that dictates a lot how coaches are going to call a game. But when you look at it, they trailed 51% of the time, which is in the bottom third of the league. Um, Meaning they trailed more often than two thirds of the league. Hmm. That's That's pretty crazy. You're running yeah, right. 51% despite trailing that much. That's very dedicated. And if you look at... you know, Real, real quick, my hunch ran- is they probably weren't getting blown out, though. They probably were close games. Just knowing the Titans' persona, it's not like they're down 21, probably. It's probably a touchdown game. You nailed it. Their margin of yeah, victory okay. on the year is 0.4 points. Wow, so, okay. You're right. And so that comes, that's again, like, you know, you hear my thing that I'm always talking with people about is context matters. So that's the other component of the context that they weren't often in games where they're down by 14. They were down by three or seven and they felt comfortable continuing on. But my thing, you know, when I think about Tennessee this year that excites me, I think, again, and some of this hinges back to what you mentioned earlier, what is Mariota? We're we're not, we're still not quite sure. and, And much of it is because we don't know due to some of the injury factor that he's had to deal with. What I will say for Mariota, though, And so many different play callers and coordinators and supporting cast. I mean, he's one of those guys that you can make a real strong case for and against him if you were... I always say this. If I was his lawyer, I could put a pretty good case up to defend Mariota as a player. But if I was, you know, trying to prosecute him, I could also say, I don't want to hear about the injuries anymore or you've gone through coordinators. You know, time to step up. I, yeah, I, I think that's a perfect analogy to put forward. If this was a court of law, this is one of those deals where there could be a narrative either way. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about Mariota is, and I'm sure that Vrabel does as well, is the guy just he doesn't throw picks. His interceptions per attempt are really low. What I, what I struggle with on Mariota is, is, he, is he really turning into more of an Alex Smith? And not that Alex Smith is bad, but Alex Smith's a game manager. Mm-hmm. He's never going to take some of the risks that you really would like your quarterback to take to open up opportunities really to blow games wide open or to get ahead earlier in a game and now let your defense feast on the other on the opposing offense because once you get ahead tendencies for the other offense they change a lot you get, they become much more predictable um, so what i'm interested to see with you know tennessee this year is i think by far this is the this is the best talent mariota's ever had around him you know oh, yeah. we just talked about those guys you add humphreys to go with davis um, taywan taylor's still a, a part you can play with you get delaney walker back you've got jonu smith you've got the two running backs and you've got a solid offensive line you signed um, saffold 
good player. Science, exactly. So the offensive line, in theory, you know, should be better. You know, these things don't always work out the way they are on paper. Um, the one thing that Tennessee did last year under Lafleur um, is they actually shortened. You know, they they were not as vertical as Mariota had been in his previous seasons. His average depth of target dropped from, on average, around nine and a half the previous three years. He did have one year where he was at a ten um, to eight. And so I'm interested to see what is this. And I think that actually makes sense when I think about the Mm -hmm. talent that what they don't have right now. And and I don't think you have to have this. I think it's really nice to have it. They don't have a real good deep threat. I think that's that's the component. Maybe Taewon Taylor, if he gets moved into the right spot, can maybe provide a spark there. But that's not really his game either. He's got some vertical speed. I think my listeners are probably jumping out of their skin right now because pre-draft, I kept saying Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown. Oh, yeah, yeah, give me that field stretcher, you know, and Man, they went I, different direction, but you know. I'll be honest, put Marquise Brown in, and I love AJ Brown. But man, yeah, right. put put Marquise Brown in this. And that's talking about building a complimentary roster, right? I, I like the idea. You just brought in Humphreys to work underneath. Mm-hmm. Deion Lewis can work underneath. Corey Davis works intermediate. When you add a guy like a Will Fuller to your offense, a guy like Tyreek Hill, man, it just stresses defenses out. I mean, if you look at, Coordinators for example, hate it, defensive coordinators. Oh, hate. God, yeah. Yes. Look, if you look at Deshaun Watson, you know, for example, you know, if you just look at his splits with and, you know, without Will Fuller, I mean, it's amazing. Like, Will, DeAndre Hopkins is the dude, right? He's the main guy in that offense. He gets all the cred. Um, but if you look at what a guy like Fuller does, uh, I got it right here. I'm just pulling it up real quick. Um, it's remarkable what the splits are for Watson and the offense with and without Fuller. I mean, yeah, with, I, I don't know your him, stats, but it's insane. With him. Yeah, with him, the full season pace for Watson over the past two years will be 4,600 yards and 44 touchdowns at nine yards per attempt. Without him, 3,600 yards and 20 touchdowns, 7.5 yards per attempt. So I know we kind of got big off sample on a size, though. but it is a big sample size. Yes. But to your point around a guy like Marquise Brown, I think there's definite value in having it. Now, it's up to the team to decide. That does make me wonder do they, I mean, maybe they think, you know, that's not really Mariota's kind of game. You know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not in there. I'm not in their building. But what I will say, you know, quickly to kind of, you know, wrap it and whatever you want to ask me on Tennessee is I, I see this as a team that I think evolves this year. I don't see them being a 50 50 team. I see them as being a team that's that's much more built to beat you in multiple ways, which I really like. Um, you know, I think play calling is something to watch. Arthur Smith, you know, the former tight ends coach, he's kind of a an, a guy that's grown up right through the Titans ranks. You know, he's been handed the offensive coordinator um, job. You know, he took on more responsibility last year um, with them kind of anticipating something might happen with Lafleur, um, But he hasn't really he hasn't called plays. He has never called plays in the league. And there's something it's not just balancing out. Oh, I run this much and pass this much. You know that it's about setting things up. You know, the best play callers, man, and it doesn't always work out. You have games where your game plan gets obliterated by turnovers or injury. Crazy things happen in the league. But, you know, on on your week-to-week basis, you know, it's about setting things up and, 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 you know, understanding how defenses are going to react. And I think that's something where we'll have to see, you know, Arthur Smith, is he going to grow, you know, into that role quickly or is it going to take him more time? Um, But as far as, you know, the offense overall, I mean, I feel pretty strongly about it. I think – Mariota has a chance this year, um, especially if healthy, but not just healthy from an efficiency standpoint. I would say th- this is the year where he def- he's got one more chance, to your point, to really put his stamp on it and say, you know what, I can do this because he does have talent around him. 
Um, you know, you hear folks around the league talk about the rule of three. You know, he's got the rule of three going for him. He's going to have three good options, if not four, yeah. out in the passing game every time he drops back to pass now. Um, so I'm excited about Mariota because, you know, he's a guy that seems to be smart with the football. He doesn't like to force it. But if I've got three or four options that can all uh, create mismatches, maybe that works really well for a quarterback like Marcus Mariota. All right, I got a few more notes that I want to throw at you. Is Mariota... Um, Kean Fahey has a site called Pre-Snap Reads where he's very into quarterback evaluation. He's super high on Mariota, and I just read his write-up of Mariota recently. And one of the things he charts is in throwing situations, basically when the defense knows you're coming, that you've got to throw, Mariota was one of the best in the league with his efficiency in third and longs and things like that even without much talent around him, and often playing injured last year, which I think we can't overlook, too. I mean, his right arm was kind of hanging off him there for a while. And a couple couple other things that came to mind while you were talking, especially early on, was if you think about it, Vrabel didn't draft Henry, didn't draft Mariota. He inherited those guys. But, as you mentioned, Henry has an awful lot of similarities to... Corey Dillon, LeGarrette Blunt, Ridley. They've always had a hammer in New England, and he's different than all of them, but certainly very, very far on that spectrum. And your buddy Waldman, I'm almost 99% sure, and you should bring it up to him, I think he's compared Mariota to Brady an awful lot throughout their careers in terms of a processor, as a distributor, as a pocket passer. And I'm putting words in Matt's mouth, but I think he... You know, a lot of people would equate Mariota early in his career coming out of Oregon as an athlete where Matt really saw him much more in the Brady mold. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about, you know, we'll start with that one. Um, you know, I can't – I, I want to say that Matt has done that too, but I don't want to put words in his mouth. Yeah. Uh, but what I do know when Matt talks about Mariota, he does – you know, it's the decision-making process. It's his ability to, you know, process through the information. Um, I know that he, he likes Mariota there. He likes Mariota's accuracy. And if you think of really about Tom Brady's game, you know, it's built around the quick timing passes. You know, it's built around, you know, Brady many times knows where he's going right away, especially if you before the ball's right. Yeah, right, right now. And then when he doesn't, you know, he's good about getting through his reads quickly. It doesn't take him forever to do it, you know, and he maneuvers the pocket just well enough that, you know, he can buy time to get to his third read, you know, assuming, you know, that somebody just doesn't totally, you know, miss their block. And so, yeah, I could see some things, uh, you know, with the way this offense is going to be built, if that is, you know, playing into the strengths of Mariota, if you think about the talent they've brought around, I like that. The other thing that, you know, you mentioned around what C.N. Fahey wrote, that's absolutely true. Yeah. If you, if you look at uh, the league average, um, and this is something that I kind of go back and forth with some of my analytics, you know, kind of, I don't know if I call them counterparts. Some of those guys are so smart. I'm like, man, you should be like working at NASA. Um, <laughs> but, but when I think about it's it, it's amazing how fast, how analytics have progressed so oh, fast every year. It's great. It, it is. It is amazing. You know, but some of it I take with a grain of salt, right? I mean, I've worked in analytics and, you know, I've been the guy building a product, you know, talking to a doctor, you know, sitting there showing them why this is the greatest thing ever. And in this situation, really, they should be using, you know, this kind of product because, you know, the data says so. And then the doctor says, well, yeah, but you don't know about this comorbidity or this or this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. We hadn't taken that into account. There's so much that coaches and GMs know that just you can't put into the numbers yet. And I don't I don't want that to be an excuse because, you know, that's a fact. 
It's just a fact. Yeah. And what I worry about, this is kind of my, this is me just kind of getting on my soapbox. I worry sometimes that we're creating such polar opposite ends of the spectrum of analytics having to have an absolute and then coaches knowing in their heart, even though they may not have numbers to defend it, that's not exactly going to work. And it just creates this middle ground where is there room, right, to come together and really get better? That's my hope, right, is that, you know, we can find ways to use the data and grow it, make it better. You know, my job was to talk with those doctors or with, you know, people running materials departments to really understand, okay, well, how, okay, that's interesting. So you're telling me that. So what are, what are some potential data points? How could we potentially capture that? And a lot of times we didn't, it wasn't even invented yet. We had to make it. We had to figure, okay, well, now we've got to start collecting this data, which is happening more in the NFL with mm-hmm. all the microchips and everything that's happening. But I digress. What I was going to talk about, um, Fahey's absolutely right. If you look at um, when, a, when a game is out of hand and the win prob- probability for a team is between 0 and 19% yards per attempt because you're predictable now. And that's what I was talking about right. earlier. You become predictable and this is where I push back on some of the analytics community. Oh, all teams should pass 70%. Well, guess what? Here are the <laughs> scenarios where teams pass 70% in the last five years. It's when you're trailing, and I know people will come back, well, no, but if you're trailing, you know, you're being predictable. No, you're saying the league should pass 70%. So that means defense is no, and they're going to stop it. Your efficiency yeah. is going to go down. 6.3 yards per attempt when you're in a 0 to 19% chance of winning. That's what Vrabel wants, to play against an offense that is in that position. Yeah. Right, you know. Versus if you're at 80 to 99% chance of winning and you're less expected to run, or let's just put it at the 40 to 59%, right? We're talking about first quarter of many games. Um, your yards per attempt is 7.4. Why? Because the defense has to still respect the fact that you could run it. I'm not getting into whether running backs matter or whether they don't, but defense has to know that you could run the ball. The less likely you are to run the ball, the more people they put in coverage, the more exotic blitzes they bring on third down and long situations, second down and long situations. So there's a lot of nuance there. But just to kind of quickly highlight it, over the last five years, here are your yards per attempt in those situations, 6-3-5-8-6-1-6-2. You don't want to be in that situation. You, that's not an official. Doesn't offense. go well, right? Yeah. So, so Fahey is absolutely right. So, when you see a quarterback that in those situations is up around a seven-five, that's up around an eight, that shows you. That shows me. Now, you have to be careful. You need to see it over a couple of years because depending on, you know, any certain team, they may not have been in that situation a lot. So, you could have a really small sample size. Um, and I haven't. I don't have Mar- Mariota specifically in front of me right now. But if it's a good enough sample size, and you see Mariota, you know, putting a of a 7.5 to 8 in that kind of situation where defenses are knowing he's going to pass, that is significant. Absolutely. Um, Folks, today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book it on your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. All right. Dwayne, (laughs) I had a hunch this was going to happen. I've got like six teams in front of me I wanted to chat with. Um, we like to keep these podcasts under half an hour. I have a feeling if we talked about six teams, we would be here until <laughs> Tuesday. So I'm going to bring up one more, and okay. I promise I would love to have you back. I can tell you that already, and all my listeners need to tweet me and you and say, bring Dwayne back because this is an awesome show. Um, another team that has, like when you compare them to the Titans, I, I look at the Bucks and I think this isn't a team that's been super successful lately. New head coach who's a very aggressive, no biscuit, you know, no risk it, no biscuit Arians. 
but the quarterbacks are at you know were drafted one and two in their year, um, free agents to be at a crossroads in their careers. But I also, when I did my power ranks a couple weeks ago, I had Tampa as well as Tennessee a lot higher than the consensus. I had them as like the 16th team in the league. Part of it was because I'm a big Todd Bowles fan. I think the defense will be noticeably better. But much of it's because I believe in Winston. I love the Arians connection. And they got weapons, man. Yeah, they absolutely do. And I I think the key for me when I think about uh, Tampa Bay is I think about the parts that are already there and how they fit with what Arians wants to do. Mm -hmm. You know, not a lot of He inherited them too, right. And I think he handpicked that team. He said he wanted Cleveland or he wanted Tampa Bay. And I think he, well, he knew why. Because there's a, Arians is one of the guys that, um, I don't want to say he's not adaptable because he will adapt the way he distributes the ball based on talent. But what he doesn't change is what you said. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to push the ball down the field. You know, so for example, we just talked about uh, Mariota and how his average depth of target last year dipped down to eight percent in the way that they wanted to run the offense. Uh, you know, in Tennessee, if you look at Bruce Arians every year, uh, his team's in the top top twenty five percent of the league when it comes to average depth of target. So here they are. Uh, this is starting with Arizona in seventeen, going all the way to Pittsburgh in 07. It's real 10, quick 1, before 10. you before you spit that yeah. out. To be honest, I mean, I'm telling you for out of I know this is a truth. That's why he's not in Pittsburgh anymore. Is the Rooneys were worried Ben was going to get killed and wasn't going to have a super long career, and their line wasn't as good back then in Pittsburgh. So they, you know, Haley's job was save Ben's life, who extended plays and got the crap beat out of him back then, anyways. So Ben and Arians was a bad combination for keeping bodies safe. Mm. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it wasn't effective. They put up huge points, and I'm sure it'll go to your point here about driving the ball down the field. Yeah, I mean, and, and the you know the the moral of the story here is it's always around a ten. He's in the top twenty five percent. Yeah, I, it is a big number. Um, you know, especially consistent consistently, you will see coaches that will have a certain you know group of talent come around them, and they'll have that for a year or two. You know, you even see that with a team like the Eagles two years ago. You know, Carson Wentz was driving the ball, you know, down the field. His average depth yeah. of target was a 10. Super Nick Foles came in and it, it, it yep, Nick Foles came in and it, and it dropped to like eight. So you'll see guys pop up there. You'll see that in a Mahomes. But if you look at Bruce Arians, it's every year. If you look at Jameis Winston, it's every year. Yep. So these are two guys that are made for each other. Um, I think the key for, you know, we'll talk some more about the personnel. I think the biggest key for Tampa Bay to surprise this year is Jameis has just got to stop throwing so many picks. He he and Mari, Mariota, it's oh, funny you ball. say that. Yeah, they're just they're they're counter opposites. Mariota's safe with the ball, and you know he's not going to throw picks, but he's not going to make the big play. Winston's the opposite. He's going to throw you know a touchdown on five percent of his passes, which is a nice number. That's going to be in the top thirty percent in the league every year. But he's also going to throw you know a pick on three to three and a half percent of his throws. And you know when you start breaking down correlating different things to winning. Net yards per attempt is really huge, and then turnovers are really huge. Those are two big drivers to whether or not, you know, from an offensive standpoint, to whether or not you can win you can win football games. So James Correct me if I'm of, wrong, but I bet he's the best and worst in those categories. <laughs> Give or take. Yeah, he yeah. Yeah, he's he's one of the tops in driving the, you know, his average depth of target has been 11, 11, 11, and 10. His touchdowns per attempt have been five, four point three, four point nine, four point one. So not quite uh, an elite number there, Matt, is nine. 
percent. Okay. A really good number is seven. Nine percent is like career year. That's Pat Mahomes last year. It's Aaron Rodgers. You know, in two thousand thirteen, I can't remember now, but Aaron Rodgers, his, his huge year. Yeah, yeah um, it, it's really hard to repeat those. But what you want to see a, a good number is to be between five and six percent. And Winston's been right around that. But yeah, his interceptions per attempt are a, among the bomb, the bottom third of the league. So he's got to fix that. The, the positives, though, to your point around the power ranking, in my mind is again, going back to the fit of the offense. So we talk about Winston, but then you talk about, you know, what else does Bruce, what else really makes Bruce Arians' offense run besides, so he pushes it vertical. Um, you know, he's going to like having a big, strong quarterback, but what, what about his receivers? What does he like? One of the huge things that, you know, Arians has always had is he loves to use a big slot receiver. So yep. you can think back to 2007 uh, with Pittsburgh. He had Heinz Ward. Yep. Tough think guys back, that can block. Yes, yes. That, that's it. And it's it's a mismatch thing. Mm -hmm. It's a mismatch thing. You know, people talk about what Cliff Kingsbury and all these guys are going to do. And, and I'm excited about some of these young coaches coming in the league. But Arians was doing some of these things before it was cool. He was he was using three wides way more than other teams whenever it really wasn't the cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. And to your point, the way he didn't sacrifice the run game was by having a guy like Heinz Ward, a guy like Reggie Wayne when he was in Indianapolis, a guy Larry, like Larry Fitzgerald. Right. Right in Arizona, so guys that you know, uh, you know, they're big, sturdy targets. They can block in the run game. So a guy that I'm super excited to see, and I think also much of what the offense can do is going to hinge here, is you know how well can Chris Godwin play that role? I, I happen to think it's going to be good for a I guy do too. Like Chris Godwin. I'm a fan. Uh, it's kind of interesting because most of those other guys we talked about, you know, they were kind of in the twilight of their year of their career, which gave them savvy and guile and they know about blocking angles and things like that. But I'm kind of interested to see what a guy with some spry legs, what kind of element can that add? You know, because while those guys, you know, were great at setting down in zones and giving the quarterback, you know, a great read to get a first down and those are the pluses. What they didn't really give you at that stage in their career was a game-breaking ability also from that position that Arians relies on. No, they you had know. to reinvent themselves, all three of them, you know, that are all borderline Hall of Famers or Hall of Famers. And you, you could honestly argue, not Reggie Wayne, he had pretty much already made it, but you could argue for a guy like Heinz Ward and Larry Fitzgerald, working with Arians kind of seem into that because they got to tack on some freaking awesome years of production uh, whenever they – probably were not quite as fit to be playing at an outside receiver position. Um, as it they worries me that Larry might have to move outside this year. That worries And I'm me. sure he'll do it willingly. He's great. but And it's probably the best thing for the team, but it, he won't be the same out there. Yeah, that worries me too. Yeah. You know, on the Arian slot thing, just real quick, you know, so if you look at the number one receiver in the Arians offense, uh, one, two, three, uh, four, Five, six, seven, eight, nine out of the past 11 seasons that he has. Is that right? I'm counting my. No, sorry, eight out of 10. Eight okay. out of the last 10 seasons, the leading pass catcher on his team has been the slot receiver. Wow. Yeah. So the guy running the most slot routes gets the most balls. And so from a. From a fantasy perspective, this is the big question I get. So, is is Mike Evans? Does that mean you know he's going to be terrible? No, but I don't. I think the opportunity level that the two are given are going to be given is going to be a lot closer than people think. I think the days of really trying to get the ball to Mike Evans, and that actually kind of ended last year because they had so many weapons trying to get him the ball 26, 27, 28 percent of the time. I think those days are gone. So, from a fantasy perspective, people may not like that. But what I, I from an NFL perspective. I like it because the offenses that I'm really growing, that I'm getting attracted to are these teams that have four or five weapons. They yeah. don't just have, they're not just, Oh, we've they're got much harder you know, to defend. 
that's that's my thought. And and to me, it, if I'm thinking long term about roster construction, if I'm really, if I can get good at, at replenishing that talent, it also gives me options to to consider: Do I really need to pay a lot of these guys? You know, with huge money. There's certain guys you just have to, right? But I think it gives you options whenever you think about salary cap flexibility. If you can build offenses like this, now you have to be disciplined because fans are going to scream, "Why are you letting this guy go?" Then the owner's got to back the GM, and then you know the you know. So there's a lot of things that have to happen there. You know more about that than me. You've been inside the building. <laughs> that's, so, a good, that's a good analysis, though. I mean, like it, it, I'm sitting here thinking. Not that this was the case with these two, but would you rather have Barkley, Sterling, Shepard, Tate, than Odell and another? You know what I mean? Or would you rather have Washington, Moncrief, Juju, McDonald, or AB and another? You know what I mean? Like, instead of in investing $20 million in a receiver, would you rather have three $7 million receivers? You know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, that's, where I'm, that's where my head's at. Now yeah. it comes back to scouting and it comes... But I think the more... Um, and again, I don't know where the balance needs to sit, run pass and all that, you know, coaches and some of the guys that are way deeper in the analytics could answer that. But for me, the more multiple you can be, um, now that comes back to being able to select the right players and bring them in. I think it takes some of the stress off of you. If you get really good at that and you get comfortable with it. But to me, what that takes is continuity. You have to be willing yeah. to keep a GM around. You have to Trust. be willing to keep a coach around. You can't just you can't say you're going to dedicate yourself to a plan like that and only give them two or three years. I don't think it'll work. We can keep talking forever. My last note I want to mention with Tampa though is I do think it's a misnomer. I'm curious if you agree with me because I think it's a misnomer that Bruce Arians doesn't care about tight ends. Well, he did when he had Heath Miller. I mean, mm -hmm. I know that it seems like ancient history, but give him a good one. I think he'll use him fine, and I still think OJ Howard's maybe the next great one in the league. Yeah, there's actually uh, a really awesome uh, follow on Twitter. His name's um, Ryan Miller, and he does these awesome threads where he'll break down, you know, what he sees coming for a player. Um, and, and his threads are awesome. You have to be, you have to read them. They're like five long, but he's, man, the guy really digs deep into some data and he comes up with some good stuff. And this is a guy that I've been going, you know, a little bit back and forth with him around hmm. and I'm in your camp. What I see is Arians, you know, has not targeted tight ends that just really weren't good. That's <laughs> what I see. When yeah, I look give at me a bad one. I'm not going to throw to him now. Now I don't, what you're not going to get most likely as a tight end in his offense is you're not going to see 20%, but you, you could see 16 to 18%, you know, of the targets. And, and O.J. Howard's going to be a special kind of guy. If you think about what Arians likes to do attacking vertical, he's never had an athlete. He had Kobe Fleener, which I guess could run, but Kobe Fleener couldn't do the ball, could, didn't have the ball skills that an O.J. Howard has. You know, one of the big potential, if you have somebody thinking, you know, oh, my fantasy draft, one of the big potential setbacks for a tight end in Arians' offense is they do have to block because he will oh, run yeah, three wides do. and four wides. So a lot of times you may end up being the out-of-structure read because, oh, my first, second, and third weren't there, and now this guy's leaking out of the backfield. But I believe... Dude, his receivers guy, have to block, too. You know I mean? He won Tynes yeah, Ward crashing down on wham blocks, and I bet Mike Evans will have to do that. He was a big-bodied guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my My... My thought is is that O.J. Howard's going to be fine. I think he's going to be the third option in the offense. I think it's going to be 1A and 1B are going to be Mike Evans and Godwin. Uh, and then you got O.J. Howard. Now, this is something that I want to watch in preseason. In preseason, I get it. You're not going to see somebody's real scheme. But there's only so many X's and O's. I know things are vanilla, but what I want to see is 
where all, what all is he just what is he doing with Howard from a standpoint of is is he giving him more looks in the slot? You know, is he moving him around? And then you know, just really trying to be tuned into what's going to happen with Cameron Brait because you know that's a really good number two tight end. To me, oh, yeah, Arians right. has some some nice again back to that flexibility. You know, you you can go to two tight ends, you can go to three wides, you can the ability to get to four wides is not like it was last year when they had Humphreys and Deshaun Jackson. They did bring in Perryman to stretch the field. There's a couple of guys that they added, uh, you know, through the undrafted you know free agency process that some folks like. But I think you know if I'm thinking about their staples, it would be you know running eleven. And then running, you know, the two tight ends. I think those would be the two formations that I would anticipate seeing them run the most. What are your thoughts at the running back position, though? I did find it curious that they didn't draft someone. Um, maybe, you know, they like Ronald Jones more than we think. And I also think Barber's a better player than people think. But I'm just curious, how do you think Arian's coaching tree history affects the running back position there? Well, I, mean, I think he's used guys that I would consider to be kind of similar to Ronald Jones. You know, I know a lot of people are like, well, Ronald Jones ran a four six and they automatically think he's slow. If you yeah, he was timed yeah. in the four fours in college, and if you watch his tape, he outruns linebackers to angles, safeties. I think Ronald Jones has got plenty of juice. I think the key for Ronald Jones is what we just talked about. You run so many three wides uh, and a lot of guys out in the route. He if he doesn't fix pass pro, he's not gonna get on the field. True. If he can fix right. that that's what I keeps people off the field. Exactly. And yeah, I think if he fixes that, yeah, or fumbles, um, it, it, and with Jameis, you know, with the high pick potential, you definitely can't afford fumbles on top of that. But for me with Ronald Jones, I would love to see him get pass pro fix because what this offense does is it opens up some pretty big – Uh, Some pretty favorable running matchups. You know, last year, a lot of people caught on to the Rams running 11 personnel all the time. Right. And how much it helped uh, because it just makes sense. Right. You got a nickel back out there instead of another linebacker. You may sub out your a certain safety to get a faster safety. You know, different teams handle it different. Well, different ways. But whenever you force off defenses to make those sort of substitutions, that's good for running backs. And then, you know, Arians is going to spread the field wider. You know, sometimes he'll line up with the guys outside of the hashes. Sometimes he comes out and trips and are in bunch tighter. But I just think with a guy like Jones and he's got the big play upside, I think, you know, my gut tells me that that's why they didn't address it is because they feel, you know what, we got a guy in Barber that we know we can lean on. But we also have upside, and we want we want Ronald Jones to win the job. Would be what I'm guessing. It's yeah, just all going to come down to can he protect? We know what Barber is. He's steady. He's solid. He's a leadoff double. He can protect. He's tough. But if Ronald really puts the work in this off season, we might have what we thought we did in the second round. Yeah, and you know, I mean, Matt Wallman loves Bruce uh, Anderson. Yeah, uh, North Dakota yeah. State. So I mean, you know, they do have him as an undrafted free agent. I think pre-draft, you know, Waldman had him and his. I want to say his top 10 overall, like breadth of talent uh, running backs. I think he was up in the top 10. So it's a guy that, you know, another guy to keep an eye on. But, you know, the, the it's a fruitful position to play running back. Your volume isn't quite as high because they like to, you know, they, they will air it out. But you see a lot of good looks. Yeah. Dwayne, this went double as long as I planned, and we only got the two teams. We could have talked to 100, probably could have done the whole podcast on just one team. I would absolutely love you back sooner than later. Thank you so much, and please tell everyone else where they can find you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. I've really enjoyed being on. So you can find me, you can find me uh, again on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland. That's D-W-A-I-N-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. I also do a podcast every Tuesday night for Fighting Chance Fantasy. It's called the Tuesday Night Hustle with my with my co-host Brian Drake. So you guys can catch me there. Matt Wallman, RSP, and in the future, Football Guys. That's great stuff. Folks, I will be back tomorrow. Over and out.